I trust it is well with your soul today. We sing that song that it's a reality for you and your relationship with the Lord. Compassion Sunday, I, I think that's special. Uh, about, what was it? She isn't here. Four or five years ago, three years ago, uh, my granddaughter called home. She lives with us, if you don't know uh, Juliet. But she lives with us, and she had been to a youth conference with our youth group here, and they were talking about Compassion International, and she called me up, and she said, Grandpa, I, wanna, I want to adopt or support a child through Compassion International. And I thought, boy, she asked for a lot of things. This is one of the good ones. And uh, I was so proud of her. And so at that point, uh, because she wasn't making money, uh, Darlene and I probably are supporting this child, but it's, it's uh, through uh, Juliet. And so Compassion International is in some ways very special to us as well. Steve and Julie asked if they could share on Compassion International because they've been involved with it quite some time and a number of different children and wanted to give you just an idea of what it is and what it's about and how it affects us. In the Bible, in James chapter 1, it says, uh, beginning or in the 26th, 27th verses, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. What do we say? What, uh, what's our conversation like? And then it made this statement in verse 27. And James was ex extremely practical. If you've read through the book of James, you realize it's an extremely practical little book. Our youth have been going through it. It says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and our Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and in that time, in that culture, they were the individuals who were the most needy. The widows, if, they, if their husband had died, they didn't have a program that was set up for their retirement or for their care. They were poor. They were, and oftentimes, if there was no one to care for them, they were destitute. So the widows and the orphans, and they had no parents. They had no one to care for them. And so it says that in pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So as I think of what we do today, if we're talking about orphans, this, these children are not orphans necessarily. They have families, but they don't have much else. And so this is one way that we who are much more affluent than those who live around the world uh, can give to the needs of those individuals. So I'm going to ask Steve and Julie to come at this time and share about compassion. Good morning. For those of you that don't know us, I'm Steve, and this is Julie, my wife. Do you want to go up on the stage? We can do that. Sure. That'll help people see you just a little better. Thank you. She's shorter than me anyway, so I should have stood down there. Anyway, we're the Mortons. Thank you for uh, allowing us to present Compassion Sunday to you this morning. Hi, this morning after service, we'd like to introduce you to Compassion Children, the children we sponsor through Compassion International. Their names are Mike from the Philippines and Bahati from Tanzania. They both live in the poorest parts of their countries, but because of Compassion International and sponsors like us, they're rich in Jesus. Julie and I have sponsored Mike and Bahati for over five years. We believe so much in compassion that we want to invite you this morning to sponsor a child. But first, take a look at this video. 
Lavi. I am 12 years old and I am in the fourth grade. Some of the challenges that the kids in our community are facing are no different from the ones I faced. No food, no money, no health care. Life was so difficult to us. We were suffering. Sometimes we go to bed without food, without eating. It was so difficult for us. But thank God, since I was enrolled in Combustion, they help us. They really help us. So I am so glad today. I'm so grateful of my sponsors, Linda and Doug. When I received the first letter that day, I was so much excited, especially when I saw the picture. And when I got back home, I showed the picture and the letter to mom, and we were all excited, and we prayed for them. I'm very pleased that I am also enrolled in this program of compassion. First, we pray. We hear the word of God and then we have lunch. After that, we play games. Also, they pay my school fees for medical checkups and for other needs of my family. My relation with the sponsors encouraged my faith. I trust Jesus that if I pray, especially in difficult situations, if I pray, Jesus could help. After school, I would like to be a doctor to help sick people to get well so they can give thanks to God. The most important thing, the most important change that the sponsorship has brought in my family is hope. Linda and Doc promised to continue praying for me so that I could be released from poverty. You're invited to sponsor a child today. Join us, share God's love, and help release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. Sponsor a child today. Wow, you heard Ablavi say that they had no money and no food night after night. This beautiful child went to bed hungry because her family was poor. The video didn't show you that her father had to go to another town to find work, leaving Ablavi and her mother on their own. Can you imagine a single parent raising a child without the basics of life, wondering day by day how you would eat, whether you would be safe, if your children will starve? The story is overwhelming, but it is also common around the world that you can help. In fact, there is a table set up in the back 
of the church this morning displaying information about children, just like Abavi, who are waiting for sponsors like you. After Abavi was sponsored, her mother said, we are so happy because now we have left poverty behind forever. This is the power of sponsorship, and it's why Steve and I sponsor Mike and Bahati, and why since 1984, children, Gloria from Guatemala, Sophia from Peru, Anil from India, and Aroli from the Philippines. We were first introduced to Compassion International in 1984, when late one night I was watching TV after Julie had gone to bed. A program came on that shared about the Ministry of Compassion International and what this ministry was all about. Watching and listening a pastor who was sharing his, about his recent trip to one of the poorest regions of Africa, he described how he was leaving and was just about to board the small prop plane that would take him to the closest international airport and eventually home to America. A young mother approached him holding her baby in her arms. She extended her arms out toward him, holding her baby out and saying, please take my baby, please save my baby. This woman knew that the chances of her starving and the chance that her baby would starve was worth her giving up this baby to save it. Listening to the story of a desperate young mother willing to give up her child in order to save them, I started to weep. Right there in my living room, Jesus was touching my heart and showing me how I could be his hands and feet, not by adopting a child, simply by joining compassion and sponsoring a child. Jesus could use me to save a child. When I shared with Julie what I had seen the night before <clears throat> and what had happened to me, Jesus touched her heart as well. Together we decided to join Compassion International and sponsor a child. Looking back now over the years, our partnership with Compassion has helped us better understand God's heart for... Sorry, I'm just reading real well. <laughs> for the poor and suffering. Matthew 25, 35 through 36 say, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. That is why Jesus calls us to do. And it's why we're inviting you this morning to find a child of your own to sponsor today. Your sponsorship is unique and child-specific. It's a special relationship where you can exchange personal letters with your child, and your gifts go directly toward supporting that child. Many sponsors choose their child based on name, age, or country. What if you could release a child from poverty today? If God is calling you to help a child, would you please come and see us at the sponsorship table in the back after the service today? The impact of sponsorship is real. Sponsorship will not only change the life of a child, but it will change your life too. We are different people today than we were before sponsoring. Gloria, Sophia, Anil, Aroli, Mike, and Bahati. We pray for our sponsorship children and for children in poverty. We give more of our time and resources 
God has certainly used our sponsorship of this, these dear little ones to change us. And I know we will use it to change you as well. There are many, many children waiting for us to stand up for them. Let's do that today. Come visit Julie and I at the sponsorship table after services today. Thank you and God bless you. Steve, can I have you take, I'm going to use your podium. I was back there a little earlier, and I, we went through the list of all the children he has. There's, uh, do you have one of the folders with you, one of the children that you can get me? You know, we looked at him. He has 20 children that need sponsors today. And uh, I'm going to speak to some of you who don't have anybody else at home to sponsor right now. Let me tell you what. When you birth a child, you get stuck with what you get. But when you sponsor a child, you get to choose that child, and uh, you'll get a little card like this. It's from Jessica Martinez, and uh, has her picture here. Uh, she lives in Mexico, and uh, she was born in 2008. You've been you've been sponsoring kids since uh, 2080 or a, a thousand, 1984. Boy, it's hard when we get it all messed up like that. Almost before I was born. That's amazing. <laughs> And uh, how many children? Six? Six total. Six total. And uh, just having that impact. I, I just want to say to parents with kids, since we have families in here today, I think it is one of the uh, most positive things you can do to sponsor a child because your children can write them notes. They can write to them. They can have them write back to them. They build a relationship with somebody from a different culture. They begin to appreciate uh, young people that don't have what they have. They don't have the toys. They don't have the clothes. They don't have the money. They don't have the food unless they're supported by somebody like you. And so I really encourage people to to do that. I think it's a very practical thing. We talk about missions. We talk about a lot of different things. And uh, it's easy to talk. It's, it's a little different when you decide that you're going to take the sponsorship of a child. How much is it a month? $38 a month, so uh, $40, I'll tell you what, you go out fast foods a couple times and you've taken care of it, so uh, I, just, I just think this is a great opportunity, uh, I appreciate Steve and Julie coming and sharing, so there is a table in the back, you'll see that, by all means stop, if you want to pick up one of the cards and make a pledge, a commitment today, you can do that, if you want information on it, because you're going to go home and pray about it, they also have some uh, brochures for that. So, and then they'll call you. And they don't strong arm like they do at conferences. No, they're not going to come and, and uh, force you to give. But I think uh, the opportunity is great. And so I, I would encourage you to pray about it and see if during this service and see if God would have you to take a child. Uh, there are children from Africa. They're from Southeast Asia. Or Southeast Asia. Uh, they have kids from down in Mexico a number of different places around the world. So uh, look and see where God would have you to sponsor. And uh, boys and girls, and they need your help. So uh, I think that's a special thing. Our children at this time will be released to go back over to their 
building, and I know they have a great program back there for them. So children uh, three years of age through the fifth grade can be dismissed at this time. And boy, that puts a big hole right over here. Uh, I am so glad, uh, as we've said before, when we came here, in about 12 years now, there weren't any children. And there were just a few adults. <laughs> there weren't very many. So uh, God has blessed, and it's been special for us to, to see that happen. But I would encourage you to think in terms of, of that. We're just going to get started on my message this morning. Um, we're, we're getting into the Ten Commandments, and I think that's important uh, that we look at them. You know, when you look at the Bible, I... I I want you to realize this is God's inspired word. All scripture, it says in, in 2 Timothy, is inspired by God. All of it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness. That says the man, but it means humanity. Whoever it is can be equipped for every good work that God has for you. I think that's important. You go back um, to the book of, of 2 Peter and it, it makes a, a statement in here in the, the first chapter in the 20th and 21st verses. It says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy, no scripture, no part of the Bible was ever a matter of one's own interpretation. I sat down with a, a person recently, and uh, we were reading through certain things the Bible, and it was pretty plain. It, it was specific in what it said, and I said, well, this is what the Bible said. And her response was, but that's your interpretation. Guess what? The issue is what's God's interpretation. It's not mine. It's not somebody else's. It's what was the intent of the author when he wrote it down. And we don't change that to fit what we desire. It says, it's a matter, it's no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I've heard people tell me that one part of the scripture is more important than others. Um, the New Testament is, is more God's word than the Old Testament. And the, and the thing is, one or the other may be specifically directed to you. Much of the Old Testament was directed to the nation of Israel, but it doesn't make it less inspired by God. Some people would say, well, it's the, it's the red letters that are important. It's the, it's the words of Jesus. Well, it is. They, those are important. Those are the things that Jesus said. They are quotes of what Jesus said. But on the other hand, all Scripture is inspired. It's all important. And we need to understand that as we read the Bible, that it was all given to us by God. But there is something so amazing to me. The Ten Commandments, like all other Scripture, and we're starting our continuing on. We just started our studying the Ten Commandments last week. But there's something that is, is so amazing to me when I think of the Ten Commandments. It isn't that they're more inspired, but it's the way that Moses received them. If you go back to Exodus, and of course the Ten Commandments is found in Exodus chapter 20, but it talks about when he received them, he was up on the mountain with God, and in chapter 31 and the 18th verse, uh, there's, there's something special here. It said, when he had finished speaking... With him on Mount Sinai, when God had finished speaking with Moses, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone. Now listen to this. Written by the finger of God. 
It wasn't that he came to another man or to another person and says, now what I want you to do, this is what I want you to write, the Holy Spirit working through that individual to write it down, but it says that God in some way in his power placed those commandments on those stones. He cut them out and he had them for Moses and then Moses went back down the hill, and you may remember the story if you watched the Ten Commandments or if you read the passage. You remember when he went back down the hill, the people had made a golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain, and they were worshiping this calf. There was all kinds of revelry going on in the camp. It was noisy. And in chapter 32, verse 15 to 19, Moses turned and he went down the mountain with the two tablets and the testimony in his hand and tablets which were written on both sides. So there's, there's two of them that, and, and they have God's writing on both sides of them and they were written on one side and the other and the tablets were God's work. And the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. I thought, man, how amazing that must have been for Moses to be carrying those tablets, realizing that God himself had engraved the words on their they would be special. And, and now Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted. Joshua had gone up partway in the mountain to be with Moses. And he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. And he said to him, it's not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing. And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hands and he shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Wow. These were the very tablets that God had cut out of the mountain. These were the very tablets that God had inscribed the Ten Commandments on. This was a people that had just come out of Egypt. They were two million plus. They were kind of in chaos probably because they were slaves, ex-slaves, and there was no longer a government or organization and so God was giving them laws to follow. He's giving them direction in terms of how to live. And they had already <laughs> dishonored God by what they were doing. Verse chapter 34, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones. Moses, you cut the rock out. But then he says, I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. It just uh, amazes me when I think of, of the Ten Commandments and how they were given to humanity. God himself wrote on those stone tablets. He engraved on them the things that he wanted the children of Israel to hear. We get uptight when we hear people wanting to take them out of a, a courthouse or an office or as a monument in, in some park. Wow, how can they do that? I was told last week as I was talking about this in the monument that was taken out of the city in Oklahoma, uh, I was told that the amazing thing was that as soon as it was taken out, all of the private organizations there, the, the private businesses put up the Ten Commandments. They were all over the town now uh, because they were so concerned. We have the Ten Commandments in stone, and, and I think we revere the Bible, revere what the commandments have to say, but the fact is 
we probably don't know them very well. If I were to ask you to quote all Ten Commandments in order this morning, do you think you could do it? Some could. Some couldn't. We tend to think we can. Uh, just looking at some statistics, researchers George Gallup and Jim Costelli put the problem squarely. They said Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is it? Researchers tell us that it's worse than most could imagine. Fewer than half of all adults can name four Gospels. That's one out of two can't name the first four books of the New Testament. They've done polls on that. That doesn't mean the people in this church. I hope that you can name all four of them. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What are those? Gospels, all right. Then we got people like Peter and James and John and who? Judas? Ooh, yeah, that's a tough one. Who else? Who? Quick, louder. Thomas. Thomas is one, yeah. You've missed the best one. Philip? I like James the Lesser. I'm not sure why he's shorter or whatever he is. He's lesser, though. Um, Andrew, folks. Andrew. <laughs> Fewer than half the adults can name, they said, the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify two or three of the disciples. According to the data of Barna's research, Barna is a Christian pollster, 60% of Americans cannot name even five of the Ten Commandments. Six out of ten. Couldn't give you five. No wonder people break the Ten Commandments, he said. They don't know what they are. The bottom line, increasingly, America is biblically illiterate. I read about a seminary professor. He got his students. They were just getting started, and he thought, well, this will be a no-brainer. I'll just ask him to quote the Ten Commandments. He struggled to get four of them out. Uh, I would hope that wasn't the seminary I went to. But, uh, you know, it, it's just giving us this idea that, that we get so uptight when a Bible's removed or so uptight when the Ten Commandments are removed, but we really take the time to know them, to understand them. I hope that after the next 10 or 12 weeks, you will have a pretty good understanding of the Ten Commandments. We're going to go through them one by one each week just to get it down. What do they say? The first one, you shall have no other God before me. That means I'm supreme. I'm number one. You need to be focusing on me. And most of us would say, oh, we don't have any other God. It's not a problem with me. When things get tight financially, what do you worry about and who do you go to? You know, the Bible says you can't serve God in mammon. You can't serve God in riches. You can't serve God in money. But it's certainly easy to kind of make that the focal point. Let me give you the rest of them. It says, you shall, not, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols, any graven image, something above the earth, something at the earth, something below the earth. You don't make those and worship them. You shall not take the name of your God, Lord your God in vain. Vain means just a wasted way, a worthless way. You shall not 
or it goes on, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We're going to talk about that. How does that relate to us? Honor your father and your mother. That's the first one with a promise that uh, the Israelites would live long in the land. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything your neighbor has, whether it's their spouse or their kids or their servants or their ox or their donkey or whatever it is. You don't covet those things. This morning, um, I wanted to get into the idea that you're to have no other gods before me. And uh, basically, I was going to look at two truths, the preeminence of God. Who is he? How preeminent? How important is he? And then that he alone is worthy of worship. And what does that mean? We tend to think worship is a practice of standing up and singing, but it goes so far beyond that is declaring God's worth by my life and who I am. And we're going to get into that. And I'm going to come back to that next week. I, want to, uh, I, I do not want to shortchange this because I think it's that important. But I'm going to give you three questions, three basic questions I want you to write down today. It's what I was going to give you as an application after I finish the message. But I want you to think about it this week. I, I want you to kind of come in with an idea of where does God fit into my life. I think sometimes we think we have it all together. It's, it's squared away. And yet we struggle with things. Let me ask you this first one. What or who do you focus on when you have free time? Now, I know a lot of you don't have a lot of free time. But when you do, what do you focus on? What do you think about? Uh, how important is it to you? I'm not going to say that all those things are gods to you. But I, I think sometimes we spend very little time meditating on who God is and God's word. And we spend a whole lot of time meditating on other things that maybe aren't so important. And so I want to ask you that. What is it that you think about? Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Do we do that with the things of God? Uh, I mentioned it earlier when we were opening. I was talking about the idea of of an artist, when we see an artist in his works, we say, oh man, what a great artist that is. Uh, uh, look at that painting, or look at that sculpture, or look at that, they are so talented. But when you see that uh, sunset, or that sunrise, do you stop and give thanks for the artist? Because he's the creator of that. You go to the oceans, you go to the mountains, you... Uh, go up around a lake. You see that. I, I have a, on my computer, they keep bringing up new pictures all the time. Some of them they ask, do I like them or not like them? Some of them I don't like, but some of them I just say, wow, God, you created that. And they captured enough of it to put it on my computer screen. And uh, I'm sorry to say that isn't always my response. But we need to be looking and, and recognize that. Second thing I want you to ask yourself is, who are you trying to impress when you uh, work hard at an activity or a job? Who are you trying to impress? When you go to work every day, who are you trying to impress? Is it your boss, person that pays you? I hope you're trying to impress them. But you know what the Bible says? It says they're not the ones we impress. We work to impress God. We work to serve him every day, everything we do. That's the priority. If you're working to do your best for the Lord, according to 
Ephesians chapter 6, I'll tell you what, your boss is probably going to love you. But when we forget that, that's, that's where we fail. Who are we working to oppress, impress? Uh, some people probably say, I don't care about impressing anybody. I just want to impress myself. I feel good about who I am. Maybe your God is yourself. Maybe you're a people pleaser. You always want somebody else to be happy with what you're doing. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week, but I think it's very easy to allow them to become the focus of our lives, the things that we do. Uh, the people of the first commandment, they're God pleasers. Their whole thing is uh, they want to honor the Lord. They, they have close friendships, but they don't allow those friendships to come in between them and God. Um, they're aware of their personal desires. They're aware of the things that they're working on. They're aware of their projects. They're aware of the ambitions. There's nothing wrong with those things. But are they more important to you than God? You see, that's a, an issue of priorities. Where does he fit? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other one not only before me, but alongside of me. It isn't that we so often have someone we put above God, but we may have something that's pretty much equal with God. And we think both are important. So we get into this study next week on the first commandment, and we talk a little bit more about that first commandment. We have to ask ourselves, is there something else in there? The clothes we wear, who are we trying to impress? What kind of clothes do you wear? Today it's changed. We have people that will come into, a, into church and, and they'll wear a t-shirt or shorts. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with it. But a few years ago, whew, no one would have done that. Ladies wouldn't have come in wearing anything but a dress. Now they wear pants and jeans and uh, blouses and, and other things. Who, who are you looking to impress by your clothes? We'll get a little more into that next week as well, uh, just, just that priority of what you wear. And uh, then the, the third one that I want you to ask yourself, who are you living for? Your major emphasis in life, your pleasures, your personal acquisitions, your, your holidays, your power... You see, a person who truly worships God seeks to obey the first commandment. Nothing else before God. And that's where we begin to see the will of God in our lives. We'll just kind of hit on it next week. But I want you to take those three questions home. And before we come in and really get into the first commandment, the supremacy of God. God's worthiness to be worshipped. I want you to kind of think this week about where you are with God. Where does he fit based on those three questions? Is he important or is he just somebody that's tacked on and we happen to go to church on Sunday mornings? How does he fit in terms of our finances and how we use them? Do we hoard them or do we share them? effectively and reaching out to children or whoever else God may use us to reach 
But uh, just based on our time this morning, I didn't want to get in and shortchange us totally on this first commandment. So we're going to come back and really get into it next week. But uh, think about the fact that these God gave us to set direction for our lives. Most people know that they're there, (laughs) the foundation to our legal system. But oftentimes, we don't know what they are. And so we want to get an idea of what they are and how do they affect us. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Father, I am so thankful for today. This has been a good day. Uh, A day to uh, have our kids in here with us and uh, just recognize them and for them to see us and to worship with us during our music time and praise time and and, and to hear the presentation on Compassion International. I, I pray that each one of us would think seriously about how we can support one of these children. I think it would be great, God, if you'd laid on people's hearts and 20 kids would be too few. If, if we would get involved with them in, in writing and corresponding and building relationships, it, it goes beyond just spending $38. I, I think if, if we were involved in that, Father, we truly involved, truly get involved, not just seeing the bill come in each month and writing out a check and sending it, but really got involved with those kids, Father, it may change us more than them. And so I pray that we would think seriously about being part of Compassion International and making a difference in these children's lives. Father, as we go home, uh, help us to stop and just think about what do we think about all day long? When there's free time, when there's time just to kick back a little bit, what what is it that we focus on? Father, who are we trying to please? I think a lot of times it may be just ourselves, but it may be somebody else that has become more important to us than you. It isn't that I want to take away relationships or that you would take away relationships. You built us for relationships. You created us for that, Father. But yet it's easy to let them become more important than they should be. So, Father, as as we think about this, help us to really evaluate where you are. That was the first commandment. You shall have no other God before me. You shall have no other God beside me. You shall not have a, a God in addition to me. For you alone are God. And you alone are worthy of our worship. Thank you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.